You found it. No nonsense. No scripts. Real people on real issues. Hard hitting and action packed with logic, reason, and common sense. Everything you need and everything you've been looking for in a podcast. This is Dynamic Independence with Johnny Anderson, Bruce Adams, Marty Foster, and GP. Welcome to it. Welcome back from the Easter holiday, gentlemen. How are you today? Bruce, it's good to see you. Yeah, shaving, shaving and all. How are you? How was your holiday? No, it was good. Uh, I feel like a zombie right now. Um, still recovering from the weekend, and that's just because I, I did absolutely nothing. Like, it, yeah, I, I feel like a zombie now after all that. If you feel like a zombie, just nip down to the Senate. You're bound to find a few around there. <laughs> they don't have that's any true. brains down there, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, that's, well, yeah they've all been eaten wouldn't... by the zombies. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's true. Marty, it's good to see you. How are you? I'm I'm jolly well, thank you very much. Um, the the weather is you know we've had four seasons in one day today yeah it's snowing uh, here today this, yeah I got sunburned three days ago and now it's snowing <laughs> woke up this morning and it was dull and grey then the sun came out for a while I got all my tools out and my workbench and my saws and the implements of destruction and just when I was ready to start work it started to rain went put everything away sun came out again um, couldn't be bothered to get all the stuff out. Walked outside again, and it was snowing here as well. So four seasons in one day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, Bruce, you were talking about doing nothing over the weekend. I was somewhere in between the two of you. So, Marty, you had some physical labor going on. Bruce, you didn't do anything. And I was laid up yesterday reading nothing but global ecology all day. I'd have been asleep within about five minutes. How do you do it? It was quite are interesting, you, actually. Are you taking some kind of amphetamine? No, no. It's quite interesting, actually. <laughs> yeah? Uh, I'll tell you all about it. Okay, but no, uh, not right now. Yeah, not yeah, not right, <laughs> not right now. But it's good to see you back. Uh, it's good to uh, good to see both of you. So I hope you had a, a wonderful Easter holiday. Uh, I'm going to try and do the best I can today. I'm fighting off a, a slight migraine and a voice problem. So uh, I'm going to do my best this afternoon. It's been a few days. So it's going to yourself. It's just an American accent. You can't help it. It's not your fault. I understand. Yeah, I understand. And I'm glad that you're sympathetic to that uh, because we always have our greatest listenership on days that you're on because your accent is more popular with all the rest of the American ladies, of course. See, they they well, tend to... You know, I, that's they're not made of wood, are they? They're not made of wood. No, I, I mean, no. they, they haven't seen me, so I can't say their eyes aren't painted on. But, you know, my, my accent is terrible. If I actually slipped into my rural accent from my county of birth, you'd all think that I was a carrot-crunching farmer. My accent has changed over the years. It's probably due to being exposed to so many different accents. Your very fine accent and Bruce's very fine accent included. Yeah, mine has changed as well. I, I went back to my hometown a couple of years ago, and when I was back there, I'm listening to people talk, and I'm like, what are these people saying? I can hardly understand them. Uh, yeah, it's it's changed quite a bit. When you travel and you jump around all over the place, you eventually develop something that is uh, unique to you. So you develop more or less your own accent. Yeah. Uh, and the worst thing is when you're on the telephone to somebody from your hometown and you slip back into it and people around you are suddenly giving you very funny looks as to, you know, are, are, you, are you taking the, you know, but anyway, I digress. Move on, sir. How are you? 
I'm okay. Like I said, I spent uh, spent all day yesterday reading uh, reading up on uh, some on global ecology. As a matter of fact, um, sorry. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I got I got the book right here. You know, if you don't believe me, yeah, that's it right there. Yeah, that's that's the one. Why on earth would you assume I didn't believe you? I don't know. I don't know. But it, usually, <laughs> when I say stuff like that, you don't doubt it anyway. So, um, yeah. Anyway, so let's go ahead and get started. Last week, I made a reference to uh, to some police officers. I, I want to talk about cops tonight for a little bit. Uh, and then, any, of course, anything else that comes up. I really didn't have too much planned today because, like I said, I'm fighting off a migraine. I got a little bit of a voice problem going on because the weather's just been crud. The uh, the snow's coming down. It was hailing a couple hours ago, and now the sun's out. I don't quite understand it. Yeah, so don't let uh, him fool you. He's got a hangover. Uh, no, I don't. I don't drink. So it's um, all that. Yeah, it's coming down off those amphetamines. Amphetamines he used to read those books. That's what it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But okay. So last week I was talking about uh, police officers. You know, I made a comment. Uh, about about police officers. And I'd like to clear that up because the more I thought about it over the weekend, as Bruce said, we had some days off and uh, and it was nice to actually have some days off and do some constructive things like read and um, work on boats and do nothing. So it's it was uh, it was a welcome thing. But last week I said that cops were a disgrace. Now, I'd like to clear that up because I've really been thinking about that. I spent many years working with law enforcement uh, right alongside of them. And cops are anything but a disgrace. They are some of the finest men and women I've ever had the privilege of working with uh, in all branches, whether that's local, state, federal, doesn't matter, uh, in all different branches of, uh, of government, as well as departments, whether that's a sheriff's office, whether that is local police department, state police, FBI, uh, any of these organizations, and Secret Service included. The thing that I made the reference to was these protests that we're seeing across Europe, whether that's in the UK or on the mainland Europe uh, or in Eastern Europe, any of those. We're seeing protests against COVID. And when I see cops out there beating on protesters, okay, that cop that's out there beating a protester, and I mean someone who's an actual protester, not someone that's out there spray painting, kill the police on the side of of a police precinct. I'm talking about someone that's standing out there with a sign that says, freedom, no vaccines, no Bill Gates, no vaccine passports, no more lockdowns. And you're a cop and you go up and you start beating on that protester. You are a disgrace. That's what I meant. I saw a video over the weekend. There was a protest in, in Belgium, in Brussels, and the police horses, a, a, a detachment of police officers on horseback rode through a crowd of protesters that were just standing there and trampled a woman. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, whoever that officer is. The police officers in Germany, I'm not blaming all cops here. The police officers in Germany that are ordered to go out there and turn water cannons on protesters that are just standing there. Like I said, I can understand if they're breaking police lines and they're stomping on cops and and cops are getting injured. Okay, I get it. But you don't turn water cannons on peaceful protesters. This isn't the 1960s during the civil rights movement. Even that was bad. That shouldn't have happened. Good recovery there. I'm glad you said that. Actually, last time I was in Belgium, uh, in Brussels, there was a, a parade and the king went through, the king of Belgium, Belgium. I had problems with that. He said, we're talking about accents. I'm breaking these teeth in for the dog. And their cavalry marched or rode through the streets. And it was quite impressive. They seemed to have rather a lot of cavalry, but not many actual soldiers. Um, you're right. It is a disgrace. But what we have to remember is these are unprecedented times and police officers are usually in the job, not because it pays well, because it doesn't pay that well. It is dangerous. They're in the job because they want to make a difference and they, and they believe in, in the rule of law. But they're being told by their governmental or mayoral lords and masters 
what to do. And it's one of the subjects we're going to talk about later on, about the bill, the police and crime bill that all the protests are happening about in in Bristol, particularly at at the moment here in the UK. I've had a lot to say about how I've seen, you know, the police treat people. Um, some of it in video, some of it from from my own experience. And I've worked with police all over the world as well. But usually when you're working with them, you've, you're of the same mind. You're there to, to, to do the task and to get the job done. But you have to ask yourself the question, if you were ordered to go and break up a peaceful protest, would you do it? Would you, would you have the cojones to stop and say, no, this is wrong? And not many people would do, because for a start, you'd be out of a job as quick as you could blink. We have to take all of these things into consideration when we look at how the police are behaving at the moment. And I think that's what you're saying, isn't it? It is. But I also understand history, and you do as well. And, and I'm making reference here to, for example, what happened in, uh, in the time of uh, the rise of the Nazis in Germany. And you can make several comparisons to what's happening now to what happened then. Uh, and I'm, I'm very familiar with the time. Uh, because it's an important historical aspect to understand, uh, especially if you want to understand what's happening now, because it's happening all over again. The police, in the initial stages of when they started to take over, were doing exactly what you just said. They were following orders. They were just going along with things. No one had the guts to stand up and say no. My point is, is that the police are supposed to be on our side, on the people's side. Who is to protect us from these out-of-control tyrants in these governments? That's their responsibility to be on our side. And moreover, in America, in the United States, I'm not necessarily speaking about Europe at the moment, but in the United States, the cops, they have to understand something. And I'm not the only one saying this. And I'm glad that I actually ran across this video. I put it up on our Telegram channel for anybody that wants to go see it. There's a police officer and the police officer's warning of an imminent revolution that will arise out of a response to tyrannical commands by politicians that are handed down to the police departments. The way the law has changed over the last few decades, particularly uh, as a result of of things like the civil rights movement, um, sorry about the ting, particularly the way people are, the, the Vietnam War protests, all those kind of things. The law has changed and the way police used to be able to use their discretion They used to be able to use their discretion to cope with antisocial behavior. Uh, Antisocial behavior isn't that newer thing. It's happened, you know, for decades. But policemen used to be able to give an unruly teenager a clip around the ear and drag him back to his parents and let them deal with it. But now that discretionary power has been taken away from the police and they have to follow the rule of law and they they also have to meet quotas and targets they're being run like a business rather than being run like a policing force or service because we don't use the word force anymore we use the word service it's the police service but instead of being run like a service it's being run like a business and they have to make sure they hit their quotas their arrest rate their prosecution rate rather than just using their discretion so in the case of these protests if they're told you will go out and you will arrest X amount of people, that's exactly what they're going to do. You know, I made the point several months ago. I said, we're arresting down and we should be arresting up. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're spot on there. You'll get no disagreement from this corner, sir. My point is, is that if you continue to blindly follow orders, and I, I get what you're saying, I'm not disagreeing with you, uh, because that, that's, that's what they're doing. But my point is, is that they are on the wrong side of history. And you will be 
if you're a police officer, and I'm not saying this myself, right? I already know this. Uh, and like I said, I, I've worked alongside law enforcement of all branches of all different uh, colors and creeds. Okay, so I understand this. Uh, but it, the uh, the law enforcement officer that was stating this understands it. And we've seen several videos over the last 12 months of, of, of officers do that. As a matter of fact, I'm surprised that this officer, if he hasn't already been fired uh, or placed on administrative leave after the video he put out. He basically said uh, that he was calling upon his fellow law enforcement officers now across the U.S., right? That's not just uh, his department, uh, to take a stand and side with the people because he understands that if the American people rise up, that's going to be the end of you as a law enforcement officer, because you will be hopelessly outgunned in that situation, in that situation. Again, you know, he makes the points that I wholeheartedly agree with. And this is more along the lines of what I was thinking. He says police siding with the people is not just the right thing to do morally. It is the best thing to do for their own survival. For if the tyranny continues and police follow the orders that run counter to the Constitution, then they will awaken a lion that will devour them. He sounds very much like some other people that we've talked about on the podcast, like David Icke. He's, this police officer sounds like the prophetess Cassandra from Greek myth, who was cursed to always prophesize the truth, but never be believed. And I think we're still in that situation where people just don't believe that what is happening is happening. They think it's it's just, oh, just a little blip. Everything's going to go back to normal. But with every breath out of we the people, every time we the people breathe out slightly, the boa constrictor of big government tightens its coils. That's what's happening, but people still don't believe it. Successive approximation. Yeah, just a little bit. I, I, didn't, I didn't say that because you know I always get it wrong. Don't laugh at me. No, I wasn't laughing at you. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the thing is, is uh, no, I agree with you. I, I think that uh, people really aren't weighing the gravity of the situation because they just don't want to believe it. Uh, they think well, that somehow going along with all of this is just going to keep them safe and do what they're told and everything's going to go back to normal or some semblance of normal at some point. But that's not the case, is it? Well, Boris, the most prolific pram filler in all of London with his, his shock of blonde hair, was on this evening at five o'clock. And uh, we've got this roadmap, apparently. He was he was um, bookcased by the two scientists, Chris Whitty and some other geezer. And basically, this roadmap involves three significant dates over the next couple of months. We've got the 12th of April, where pubs can serve drinks to people outside. Then we've got the 17th of May, where there can be, I think, larger gatherings and they're considering sports stadia to be open or maybe other non-essential shops. It may not be the sports stadia yet. And then the 21st of June. And it has been mooted about the COVID passport situation. And he couldn't, he couldn't stand there and say, yes, we're going to insist on COVID passports. All he would say is every time he was asked the question by various reporters from the different news outlets was, oh, that's a little bit too early to say yet. We we are not planning it yet. But that just means they are planning it. They just don't want to admit they're planning it. I've not had the vaccination. I was called forward to have the vaccination. All they want to do is vaccinate people. That's the only concern that they've got. You know, the the carrot with the, the, the stick is you don't get to go out. The carrot is your COVID passport, your it's like the video status. Yeah. It's like the video I sent you the other day from the uh, literally the Chinese Communist Party rep yep. on CNN with Chris Cuomo. As a matter of fact, mm -hmm. I've got that audio. Let me just play it. Yeah. 
It's clear to them that the vaccine is the ticket back to pre-pandemic life. And the window to do that is really narrowing. I mean, you were mentioning, Chris, about how all these states are reopening. They're reopening at 100 percent. And we have a very narrow window to tie reopening policy to vaccination status. Because otherwise, if everything is reopened, then what's the carrot going to be? How are we going to incentivize people to actually get the vaccine? So that's why I think the CDC and the Biden administration needs to come out a lot bolder and say, if you're vaccinated, you can do all these things. Here are all these freedoms that you have, because otherwise people are going to go out and enjoy these freedoms anyway. Oh, dear. People are going to go and enjoy their freedoms. Good. Off you go. Let's let's go and do it. Let's let's all do it together at the same time. They can't arrest us all. It's despicable. If this vaccine uh, and I, I'm I'm only speaking from my own perspective here, but if this vaccine was that necessary, you wouldn't need to persuade me or coerce me to have it. But the fact is, we don't trust its origins. We don't trust the fact that it's pretty much untested, or rather, it's been pushed through. Um, and we don't approved. trust the people. Well, we don't trust the people who are who are funding it. We don't trust Gates. We don't trust Soros. We don't trust our own governments at the moment because we are being lied to and the, all the evidence is there. And then to have, uh, was she actually a, a Chinese Communist Party representative? Well, I, I, honestly, I don't know, but um, she certainly uh, acts as though she is one. <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, all these because, people being free. How dare they? Yeah, oh, yeah. No, and, no, no. and as a matter of fact, I put up a uh, I put up a video today out of Biz News, and uh, there is a gentleman who's sitting on stage, and he's talking about how the Chinese government, who is the Chinese Communist Party, they have petitioned the World Health Organization, which they pretty much own. Right, I think we can all agree on that mm-hmm. uh, to allow China. So they've petitioned an organization that they pretty much own, lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. To run a global immunity passport program. Yeah, that, isn't it fantastic? Now think about um, this. The, the th- does anybody even know where this thing came from in the first place? Has anybody even asked themselves that question? Any of these uh, these people that are out there that are getting whacked up with this experimental whatever the hell it is? Are you even asking where it came from? Do you even know at this point? They're forgotten. I th- I'm sure we must have said it about nine months ago that eventually they'll forget all about where the virus started and perhaps how it started and the absolute BS we were told about its origins. I know you're going to correct me when I say bat soup and a pangolin sandwich, but no one believes that anymore, do they? But no one's bothered about it. Everyone's too bothered about, are they going to be allowed to go to the pub? Are they allowed to be good to, to go to the football game? Are they going to be able to go to the theatre? And you can you can keep your football games. I'm not going to those, but I do enjoy the theatre. But it looks like that's one of the activities that this COVID passport is going to be required for. And and that worries me to a, to a certain extent. No worries if you're an American, of course, because the Biden administration said they're not going to do any kind of vaccine passports. That means you're going to get them. Um, that means you're going to get them. Exactly. If the government's telling you, oh, no, we're not going to do it. This is the same... Uh, government, this is the same administration that said, we're not going to raise taxes on anyone that makes less than $400,000. We covered that last week. We covered that last yeah. week. Yeah. Congrats. They're going to they're gonna raise uh, taxes to where, to the point that you lose about $6,500 per household. That's uh, almost double what you gained under Trump. That's, that's so, going to be a global thing yeah. as well. Every yeah. developed country yeah. that has borrowed from the World Bank to fund their efforts against the virus 
are going to raise taxes to recover that money. All of the people that have been furloughed in the UK um, spending, you know, nearly a year now on 80% of their salary, which is being paid direct by the government, um, all of that money is going to be recovered somehow, and it's going to be through taxation. And our generation, we're still working, or my generation, I'm one older than you, still working, I'll still be paying those taxes, and our offspring will be paying those taxes, and their offspring will be paying those taxes to recoup this money all back to the World Bank, because it won't go back into your country, it'll be just paying off debt. Which they will so graciously sell in the form of bonds to the Chinese, I'm assuming. Yep. Actually, um, nobody's buying ours currently. Yeah, no one's buying uh, U.S. bonds. In the U.S. Yeah. They, they, yeah. Had, they, well, had, a bonds, they had a bond sale well, a couple, what was it, a couple of months ago. No one bought any. Yeah, nobody bought any bonds. You know, usually when that happens, the stock market usually tanks and, you know, the things kind of, nope, stock market's going up. It's skyrocketing. Everything's fine. It, no, nothing wrong here. The ultimate uh, Gold prices were, you know, I mean, they're fairly stable-ish. But both of those markets are are controlled. I mean, they're regulated. And it, you you might say, oh, no, this is the free market at work. You know, people, no. Uh, go back and look at what happened to GameStop. When the average person went in and started making money on it and hedge funds started losing, what happened? They locked you out of being able to buy that stock or sell it. So <laughs> the market's not controlled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Okay, so tomorrow, right? Well, I don't want to go any further on this uh, because I need the Jen Saki circle back. Can you pull that for me so we can have it ready for future? <laughs> so I want to circle back to what's going on with uh, the uh, the protests in England. I want to talk about this uh, crime and uh, or what is it? Police and whatever this is, uh, police and crime sentencing bill or whatever it is. So I want to talk about that. Uh, but tomorrow, just to give a little preview of what I want to do tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going to be playing some audio of Dr. Peter Navarro from the former Trump administration. He was part of the pandemic task force response. And now he's come out talking about Dr. Fauci and his connections to the Wuhan lab with NIH and Dr. Francis Collins, who's the head of the NIH. So now he's on board with exactly what we've been talking about for the last 12, well, almost 18 months now, talking about how this is Fauci's virus. This is something that he conjured up, something that he gave the Chinese, something that the Obama administration gave the Chinese. Now, rather that was... Uh, as Marty so graciously puts it, accidentally released on purpose, <laughs> then, you know, who knows? But um, at least now you have a lot of the heavy hitters and a lot of the people in the mainstream, in the alternative media, coming out, talking about things that we, the little guy, were talking about 12 to 18 months ago. And it's refreshing. Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump, came out last week, issued a statement talking about how Fauci gave this research to the Chinese, to the PLA labs, to that lab in Wuhan. Someone I've been talking to today uh, said to me in conversation that, and, and he, he knows what he's talking about, but he says that this virus is no more by design than Spanish flu was. But I, I disagree. Where are the piles of bodies? As far as I'm aware, Spanish flu came about after a particularly nasty war where there were lots of dead bodies lying around and there was viruses mutating inside the dead and the dying. And then this that, that flu swept across Europe and across the world. And that killed millions of people. And it's yeah, killed yeah. it's killed hundreds of millions in the last uh, in the last century because we're still dealing with it. Yeah, we, we are still dealing with it. So when that strain hits you, you get hit hard. This is nothing like that. This is this was taken around the world on aeroplanes. That's how it got there. Um, it started off in 
China, it, within Wuhan, there's pretty much no doubt about that. But it got around the world by aeroplanes. That's how it happened. It's not some mass migration of people returning from a war carrying a virus with them. It was the Lunar New Year and all of the uh, Chinese workers returning to Milan, where they own all the fashion industry uh, that made Northern Italy a Petri dish for COVID. And then you've got all that travel across Europe. So I'm losing my my track here. But um, at the end of the day, it started in Canadian, American and European labs. It was given to the Chinese it was messed about with, it was genetically modified, and now it's out and amongst us. So why were we told at first it was due to some zoological transfer from, Plausible, plausible denial from animal to human? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You can't have the Chinese Communist Party, who is at the moment shaky at best when it comes to keeping their hold on power, because they went into the Punjab and they got, they got humiliated, more or less. They got stomped on in there. They went into Myanmar. Now they've gotten stomped on there. And so now China's in a very serious situation. And this isn't really talked about. They're in a serious situation in the fact that they don't have any food or fresh water. That's a problem. China bought more grain, more grain from the U.S. last month than they have in the previous two years. China has a problem. They have a very serious problem. And so now what they don't have, what they can't produce, because communism doesn't produce anything, don't give me the garbage that they've been uh, building up their economy because they've had some uh, great Marxist revolution over there. The only reason they've been able to produce what they've been able to produce is because people here in the West that have sold us out have exported our jobs and our industry there. So they're able to build based off of that. They don't produce that because the system of Marxism doesn't produce. Socialism doesn't produce. It destroys. What you have there is a case of crony capitalism with corrupt finance capital in the West that have exported our jobs in our industrial base. That's what you've got. That's how they're able to produce. And they can leverage us out on the world stage at 50 cents a day as opposed to $50 an hour. Uh, just to throw in here, um, those companies that left and went to uh, uh, China because it was cheaper uh, in many cases, it, currently with what the Biden administration is doing here in the US with the taxes and all that kind of stuff is only going to trigger more of that happening. I mean, raising taxes and then trying to raise the global corporate tax so that companies don't leave the US kind of sounds like you have a flawed policy. Uh, Well, he should get told to Foxtrot Oscar, but he won't because other governments in the West are complicit with it. So they will raise their taxes. They they will be raising um, taxes on on me or not just the corporate taxes, but pay as you earn income tax. They'll be raising that as well. And all the time they do that, they further price us out of the market and make these, shall we say, well, China's a a developed country, whether you you like it or not, but they make these developing countries more attractive for companies to move their businesses to. You can bet that they won't be raising their corporation tax and they'll be doing everything they can to attract more business. Well, no, of course they're not going to because that's the 2030 agenda, right? Is to move manufacturing out of the developed world into the developing world, as yeah. as they word it, and the the thing is too with with these taxes, when you raise taxes on the the corporations, it's a roundabout way to raise taxes on the individual because those corporations, down, isn't it? The, it's yeah. not trickle down in our favor; it's trickle back up. Yeah, we're, it, we're, yeah, yeah. We're paying it, so we're gonna. You're not gonna get your pay rise. You're not gonna get your bonus. You're not gonna get your opportunity. 
But it was interesting what you said about uh, China buying more grain uh, than they ever have. And I know we've mentioned this before. When the Soviet Union was the Soviet Union, the US used to export millions upon millions of tons of grain free to Russia to distribute through the rest of their, you know, the Soviet Union, because there was this very great fear if the Soviet harvest failed, then they would have to go onto a war footing and push west to the east, uh, you know, to, to the western seaboard to to feed their their people. And they would do that. And they had the armed forces big enough for it. So we used to give them free grain just to make sure they didn't go to war with us. So we're selling it to China? Are we selling it at a super discount? Well, yeah, I'm sure that it was. Bulk, well, the, buy you, bulk, always, you, know? you always get a discount if you buy in bulk, yeah. Yeah, right. All right. Uh, again, you know, we're not scripted here, so I didn't really want to let that, I didn't want to interrupt the two of you, but I said, let's circle back like, I don't know what, like 15 minutes ago. I'm completely ready when you are, Michael. <laughs> Michael. <laughs> I've, I've, I've done that to you before. It's a thing from the young ones. Never mind. Carry All on. the young ones. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, back to the UK before we got off. Boy, that was the. I think that's probably one of the longest tangents we've ever had. Well, like I kind of have a thing yeah, against yeah. taxes and whatnot. So yeah, I, I think all of us hate yeah. taxes equally here. I I think that uh, none of us like them. Uh, okay, so let's let's go back to the UK. Let's talk about this um, this kill the bill protest. Now this is interesting because these things started popping up, and I can't help but equate them to. I want to say it's almost like a um, like a, a spinoff of like BLM protests in the U.S. talking about like defunding cops and uh, uh, Antifa, right? Antifa. We saw what Antifa's done at places down in place uh, down in um, what was it? Was it Atlanta, Bruce, where they uh, they tried to cement up the doors of the police precincts and set fire to the police precinct to try and burn all the police officers alive inside? Uh, it was it was either Portland or Atlanta. I don't. I don't remember exactly. Okay, it could have been Portland. Yeah, it could have been Portland. But the violence we've seen against cops in the U.S., I could almost equate that to what we're seeing in the U.K. now with this uh, this Kill the Bill protest. Now, it has nothing to do with the movie Kill Bill. You refer to the police in the U.K. as the bill. Is that correct? That is correct, yeah. Why is that? I've always wondered that. Why is that? The main reason is because of, it'll come to me in, 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 shortly, but one of the people who organized the police force when they were first being set up was called William, but I'm, I'm not sure of his last name. So they were known as the old Bill, the old Bill gotcha. being the police force. They're, all, they're also known as Peelers after Robert Peel, who was prime minister. Yep. He, he set up the Metropolitan Police. So they were known as Peelers. They're known as Coppers. The boys in blue, old Bill, blue bottles, the fuzz and the filth. Okay, uh, as, as well by perhaps the criminal fraternity. This has been happening up in an area of Bristol, I believe it is, uh, these protests. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of the videos. Have you have you seen some of the videos of what's been going on up there? I have seen some of what's what's been happening. And um, you'll recall during the BLM protests, because uh, Bristol was the northernmost point of the slave triangle, certain uh, historical businessmen in, um, and I can't remember the guy's name. Lots of buildings and streets were named after him. There were statues set up to him. He did lots of philanthropic work in the UK, setting up schools and universities and museums. This, this was the statue but, they tore down and yeah, threw into the but, in the river. But he made his money out of um, you know cotton, slaves, molasses, so on. 
And so the, the BLM protest tore down his statue and it should have been removed way long ago, you know, and put in a museum with the full story of the guy. What shouldn't have been allowed to happen is this mob rule that tore down the statues. And again, with the protests in London, where the Cenotaph and other war memorials were, were attacked, it caused a great deal of upset and anger. And the police are in the middle of this all the time. So you've got a renter mob. We've talked about them before, the useful idiots that are being fired up, funded to go and protest. When we went through Agenda 2030 and looked at the 17 Sustainable Development Goals of the UN, as you read each one, you could see how, yeah, that, that sounds like a, a reasonable idea. But then when you think how it is going to be implemented and what it means for everybody else, you can see the harm. Now, I, I haven't got the, the full bill in front of me, but I've got the points that they're going to um, include inside the bill. And point one is to protect our police by enshrining the police covenant in law, enabling special constables to join the police federation, introducing new legal tests that will compare a police driver to a peer with a similar level of training. This new test will strike the right balance between giving trained officers the confidence they need to fight crime effectively while holding to account those who drive in an inappropriate manner. Okay, so that's that's point one. But it, it, it goes on to talk about uh, the right to um, uh, disrupt a peaceful protest. And it also extends their rights to uh, arrest people who are damaging monuments. And this is what Renter Mob are getting upset about, about how they can see their right to protest and disrupt being taken away. And again, with all of these points inside that list of things that the bill is going to contain, I can see how there's there's good and bad. The trouble is that they've lumped it all together in one thing. So if the bill doesn't get through, then all of the good stuff will be lost. And if it does get through, then all of the bad stuff will be here and it will affect us all, not just rent a mob, Antifa, BLM, the far right. It will affect every man, woman and child and those non-binary in the UK because it will affect their right to peaceful protest. These uh, changes uh, that if this were to go through, it says here police chiefs will be able to put more conditions on static protests. Uh, they'll be able to impose a start and a finish time. It's a protest. So what now? Every single protest has to be scheduled. You have a right to protest. You have a right to peaceably assemble in the UK. Do you not? Yeah, yeah you do. But I'm a firm believer in the old pagan credo, which is do as you will, but harm none. So Extinction like, Rebellion during 2019, was it 2019? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems, yeah. But it's like so, 10 years ago now, doesn't it? Does. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd rather um, see those loonies back out in the streets. Pick up your trash. But the, this, but they, they, they completely shut down London. You had people true. who couldn't go to work. You had people being attacked for driving a vehicle. And that was by the protesters, and it shouldn't happen. And the well, police were actually now we're seeing it by the state. We're, now we're seeing the same stuff by the state. They've shut down the entire economy, and you get stomped on if you're up. I, I saw a video of a woman who was two kilometers away from where she lived in the UK. She was sitting out on a park bench having a cup of coffee. The police checked her ID and said, "You're more than two kilometers away from where you live. You're not supposed to be here." And they find her and arrested her. Yeah, it's I find that absolutely despicable. 
But that's what the police are being told to do. And this bill will strengthen their powers to do those kind of things Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Set a noise limit on a protest? A noise limit? Really? Yeah. It's protest. It's protest. You're supposed to raise awareness. Yeah, you're supposed to be out there. Not to pull a a protest like uh, what you had the likes of, uh, you know, Nick Sandman with the Indian with the drum. But you're supposed to be out there wailing on drums to get people's attention. It's to raise attention. Yeah, it's to make sure that our political servants, the people who, who are supposed to be serving us, are aware of how the public feel, what the groundswell of opinion is. But from recent experience in the last couple of years, have we not seen that our body politics, both in the US, in Germany, in France, in the UK, couldn't give a tinker's toss about what the public thinks. It's just their agenda, full stop. And there's a a programme here in the UK for a better rail link from the north to London, HS2, which cuts through a lot of historical woodland, areas of natural beauty. No one believes they need it, especially as everyone's working from home these days and having Skype meetings rather than traveling from one end of the country to the other for a meeting. Um, And it's, you know, lockdown, if it's done anything, has proved that we can do this. We can work from home in a lot of cases. Yet that HS2 sounds like it's going ahead still because that's their agenda. Someone's making an awful lot of money out of it. That's what they want. And they're not listening to the public. So that's one of the bad things about this bill, that they will reduce the effectiveness of peaceful protest because they can more or less shut it down as soon as they like. Uh, and if it once it's written into law, that right to peaceful protest will be gone forever. And so whilst I detest the great unwashed Antifa, BLM, far-right Nazi lunatics, they're protesting, and I, I kind of support the protest, but not the manner of the protest. But again, if if you just peacefully protest, no one takes any notice. No one is taking any notice. and And that's the problem we have. It's a real dichotomy. I I tend to, anytime a bill comes up and there's a level of poison in the bill, no matter how much good is in there, that poison ruins the entire thing, in my opinion. Because you can put something in in the bill, you know, some of the stuff in there looks like we're talking with the um, noise restraints and, and being able to shut down a protest, really, for any reason that they choose, really. That is poison, in my opinion. And yeah, there's good stuff in there that we want, but how are they going to use that in the future? That That is my concern when, when it comes to bills in general. Personally, I don't like it when they do that kind of stuff, and I, I, I have difficulty supporting it. And the other, the other issue is, as well, the law enforcement, uh, we support them around here. The problem is, is I'm beginning to distrust the leadership, the higher-ups in those departments. So I, I honestly... I don't trust where this would lead. If you look at these two points here, extend the offence of arranging or facilitating the commission of a child sex offence to cover a wider range of preparatory conduct in respect of sex offences committed against children under 13. Then the next one, extend the scope of offences in the Sexual Offences Act 2003 relating to the abuse of positions of trust legislation to capture additional roles such as sports coaches you had a big thing in the states didn't you a little while ago with the guy who was um he was the doctor on your gymnastics team it was something like that anyway but those two points have got no place in this bill 
And I don't know the exact rules or the protocol, but if they've been discussed and been dismissed, how long is it before they get back into another bill? It could be X amount of time. It could never happen. So why mix these things up inside this bill? Some things that clearly need to be addressed and and should be part of law. Other things that are simply giving the police too many powers and removing your civil right to peaceful protest. You know, some of these things just shouldn't be in there because it's it's I don't see this bill getting through. If this were the U.S., and with the politics the way it is here, I would say those things are in there simply to give the party in power the talking points. Then they can go out and say, well, the opposing party is against uh, stricter regulations or stricter cr- uh, punishments for people that commit sex offenses against children. Or, or, you know, I mean, it gives them a strong talking point, if you will. And at the same time, empowering them to, um, well have more control, getting through the policies uh, that they want. So those are those are really just for show. If this were an American situation, I don't know if they do the same thing there in the UK, but that, that's kind of what they do here. I'm pretty sure that's exactly what they intend. And bits of this bill will be stripped away and they'll 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 horse trade over it. And eventually you'll get something that comes out and it will be a bill that just gives police extra powers to stop protests. And, you know, I'm, I really am on the fence on on this because I don't want to see um, organisations like Distinction, uh, Extinction Rebellion, BLM or Antifa getting away with making our streets chaotic and impossible for people to go about their everyday lives. I don't want them to be able to do that. But at the same time, when there is something that is important and needs to be uh, or have its uh, awareness raised, I want that right to protest to still be there. And these new laws, if they get through, will remove that right. Okay, I want to shift here for the last uh, for the last little bit here. I want to talk since you're in here, Marty. I've been kind of holding this one back. I want to talk about your military. I saw a report here. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, and you're going to be saying that again after we get done talking about this. There was an article here uh, a couple of weeks ago out of the uh, Associated Free Press, and it says the UK is to increase their nuclear stockpile. Now, I thought this was rather interesting because a lot of other countries seem to be doing the same thing. European countries seem to be doing the same thing. They're going to increase their nuclear stockpile. Now, I'm curious as to why that might be, and I'm curious to hear what your thoughts on it would be. Now, this comes out of, uh, again, the Associated Free Press. Also, The Guardian and The Sun, take those for what you will, uh, said in their online editions that the country would look to raise their number of warheads from 180 to about 260 by the middle of the decade. Uh, Any reason as to why that might be, in your opinion? Every year we have to send a submarine over to america because our warheads are from you our missiles are made by you yeah well and we have to prove that we know how to handle them and deploy them to america in in order for us to have them and as i think america is going to hell in a handcart very very shortly oh we are rocketing to the poorhouse sir i can assure you um chances are we want to get some of those warheads before you are no longer capable of producing them. That's my take on that's that. a fair point. That's the, first, that's the first time I've heard it, but that's, that's what that's, I think is going on. That's a fair point. Okay, now you said what was left of it. Now that explains the nukes. Okay, I'm, I was curious about that. That explains the nukes. I, I will throw in another possibility. Uh, we we have a certain country that is bent on destroying the Western uh, world, and really? they Who? have nukes. Who? And Iran. 
and oh. they have nukes. Oh. And the Biden administration is part of the administration that enacted the policy that enabled them to freely get nukes. So I imagine there's a little bit of concern around the world that uh, Iran is going to be emboldened. And um, well, I don't know, <laughs> paying them billions of dollars and in the dead of night, dropping pallets off of cash on the pallets runway. of cash. Yeah. Um, that kind of John Kerry. Yeah. yeah. Seems a little suspect, you know? Well, so I, yeah. The, the policy is known as MAD, isn't it? Mutually assured destruction, or used yeah. to be. No country, in my humble opinion, who has nuclear weapons ever intends to use them. That may be different with Iran because they're a rogue nation run by religion rather than politics and that may be the case but or north korea north korea reportedly uh, north korea now this is this is just a report i don't know if there's i i just heard this the other day north korea reportedly put their very first nuclear submarine to sea a few days ago okay but is it a ballistic submarine or is it just powered by nuclear uh, some yeah, are saying it is a. Asked. Some are saying that it's a ballistic submarine. So, some are saying I. I don't know. I don't know. That's not been confirmed. But uh, satellite images that could have just as well been faked. Uh, with, yeah. You know the areas areas of you know the era of deep fakes that we're in um, showed something being put to sea, which appeared to be a a submarine, which could have very easily just been another diesel powered submarine. You couldn't really tell from a satellite photo. You don't know. Technically, you can launch an ICBM from a diesel-powered submarine, can you not? It's just a matter of have, how, being able to house the, the missile itself. Uh, technically, I suppose you're right. However, diesel boats have to surface on a regular basis to uh, recharge uh, batteries and to um, vent air, whereas on a nuclear boat, everything is taken care of. It can stay down for a very, very, very long time. But the point is... If everyone's trying to up their number of warheads, to take out Iran with a nuclear strike, I would say, uh, I can't even say how many it would take, but it's not that many. So you don't need extras to, to take out Iran or North Korea for that, that matter. What the problem might be is the supply of these warheads in the future. and. Even a bigger nation, too. Or yeah. a conflict with Russia. We're seeing a lot of Russian military activity in uh, uh, in the Ukraine at the moment. What they've got is a lot of people, and they've got, I mean, with the Russians, they never, they never make a platform obsolete. If they get a new type of ship, they just repopulate that with new people. They keep the old ships going until they rust to pieces in Kamchatka or, or wherever they are. So they've got a lot of people, they've got a lot of equipment, but a lot of it isn't very good. Our armed forces in the UK have got smaller and smaller, but we're still good at what we do. The rest of the world, not so much. They have to go on numbers. We don't stand a chance without our big brother from across the pond because we're too small now. If this administration continues on the path that it's on, and according to what we saw out of the Pentagon that was confirmed just last week, the U.S. armed forces are going to be going green in the coming days, as in they're going yeah, to be the electric using vehicles. all electric vehicles. Yes. Yeah, yes. That's, that's really going to work, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Uh, that's really going to work. <laughs> now, you you as a you as a retired military veteran, have you ever heard of anything more stupid in your entire day? It's just a logistical matter, isn't it? Instead of transporting tons of fuel to the front line, you have to transport tens of tons 
of lithium batteries to reinstall in the vehicle because you can't put a charging point there unless you've got a diesel powered generator. You all oh, that's exactly that. The, there's the the absolute contradiction and ridiculousness of it. The way in which these vehicles will, of course, be recharged after each mission will be via a diesel generator. Yeah, go figure. Why don't we just use hybrids then? Why why go all electric? You're you're literally taking the emissions from one place and you're moving them to the other. That's all you're doing with electric yeah. vehicles. That's it. Well, we we know that, uh, and we know that to produce uh, an all electric vehicle, there is more pollution created in the production of that one vehicle than there is in ten to fifteen years of running of uh, a conventional petrol or diesel vehicle. I'm plucking figures out of the air there, but. I firmly You're believe not that You're not wrong. It, it, electrical, it does cost. All, all electric are more polluting in the long run than conventional vehicles. They are. I mean, if you look at, it, for example, a Toyota Prius or Prius, as you call it, dialectical differences, I suppose. If you look at one I of these vehicles. I don't the, look at those at all. <laughs> you don't look at them at all. They are quite hideous. But if you yeah. look at one of these things, the amount of, uh, forget the cost, okay? So the cost is pretty much like double or triple to manufacture all the parts of it before it gets to market. So they're selling each one at a loss. That's why the Chevy Volt, the Chevrolet Volt or the Opel Volt, whatever in the hell it was in the European side of things, that's why that was a failure because it cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to make each one of those things and they were selling for $32,000 or pounds or euros or whatever in the hell. Not to mention the environmental cost you're talking about to manufacture these then, batteries. Even, even then, that's the plan you see. Supposedly by 2030, all vehicles in the UK will be electric. Um, that will mean... I probably won't be able to afford to drive because I haven't got $32,000 or $24,000 or, or whatever to buy a brand new vehicle. There will be no secondhand market. I buy secondhand vehicles here in the UK. Out in the Middle East, I, I had lovely vehicles. Mind you, they were American. I, I had the Chevy Tahoe. 5.4 liter engine. Yeah, and you were paying like you 15 were cents a gallon for gasoline is what you were doing. Well, yeah, it was it was 13 pence a, uh, a liter when I first went out there. It's, it's, it wasn't quite that cheap, but that's something like 10 times cheaper than it is here. Yeah, I paid it. I paid one euro 48 for a liter just the other day. Yeah. So, yeah, well, I won't be able to afford a car. I won't be able to to drive a, a petrol or diesel car, which I could buy secondhand and and get you know. To my mind, buying a secondhand car is going green. I'm making sure that that car does, doesn't have to be reproduced too soon because I'm gonna you know someone who's got more what's the word I'm looking for ego and vanity than me wants to drive around in a brand new car. Um, they'll do that for three to five years, then they'll sell it and I'll pick it up cheap and I'll drive it for another five or six years. Otherwise, that car would have to be reproduced. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the concept of having military vehicles all electric is only a matter of logistics and it's perfectly feasible. It will work. They'll make it work. But when they come back into base, they'll be recharged by a diesel generator. So it makes no sense whatsoever. It's a pointless task. The amount of energy they're going to have to produce in the base to recharge the vehicles is enormous. On top of that, though, you're talking about being out in the field and burning the fuel itself, right? You're you're generating the, the energy needed to, to power the vehicle in the field. So yep. instead of doing that, now you're going to have to do that at base to recharge all the vehicles 
in burst, like in a quick session, you know, I mean, otherwise you're not going to be able to use the vehicle for hours on end, you know, and it, so you're going to need double the vehicles to run all this, or as you said, you know, double the batteries up and just when one's out, you know, you, you're, you're recharging the other one. And then when they get back from their operation, hopefully the batteries are recharged in time. You may need three times the batteries to run it. it it's absolutely foolish to do something like that. Unless is, you're planning is there on enough cobalt lithium in the world to do that. I don't know, but I can it, tell you, it, I can tell you, we're going to be buying it at a premium from China. Uh huh. Yeah. Unless graphene really is a thing, and they can make batteries out of it. If they That's can do different. that, that that'll that'll change things up a bit. It'll be cleaner, uh, longer lasting batteries, faster charging. You're still going to require a ton of energy to charge them, though. Or we create some kind of new nuclear, uh, I don't know, use um, freaking thorium well, or something and use it on a small scale. We're not quite there yet with air power, are we? Um, yeah. There is no such thing as um, you know a fully serviced, serviceable battery-powered Apache. So they're not going to do that. They're not going to manage that because the, the power-to-weight ratio says you can't get a battery that big off to use it within a helicopter. You certainly right. can't do it with fast air. Jets, uh, strike aircraft, not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So this claim that the entire US military is going to go uh, electric is complete bollocks. Why? Why are they making this claim? Who's it for? Who's it supposed to impress? You know who's who it's supposed, supposed to impress. Yeah. You know the, who it's supposed to impress. Dear old Klaus. Green. Klaus Schwab, yes. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I miss my white cat. It is death, yeah. you know. Yeah. On yeah. Monday, the UK's Ministry of Defense presented a command paper to Parliament outlining its plans to radically transform the British military in the 2020 era. Hmm. Interesting. So you had mentioned the number of troops that you had just very briefly there. The British Army will shrink from 76,500 out of a target strength of 82,000 to 72,500 full-time trained personnel and adopt a U.S.-style brigade combat team organization. Most brigades will have four-line battalions, regiments, and an artillery regiment, plus the necessary support units, signals, engineering, medical, logistics, etc., to operate independently. There will remain just two heavy brigades suitable for capturing and defending high ground in high-intensity conflict, each with one tank battalion, two mechanized infantry battalions in wheeled boxer armored personnel carriers, and one armored cavalry regiment mounted in tracked Ajax reconnaissance vehicles. Uh, they will be supported by a combat aviation brigade with 50-ish Apache hel- uh, Apache attack helicopters and an innovative deep reese uh, strike brigade combining artillery regiments with Ajax-mounted reconnaissance units for locating targets. This doesn't sound like a very good idea. They're, they're taking an already cut-down military, and it seems like they're just consolidating everything. I, I don't it's see all, how- It's all about the money, mate. It's all about the money. The added benefits or the unseen benefits of having a large military is that you get an awful lot of people in Civvy Street after they've left, after they've served a short amount of time or a full career, who have been trained, who are disciplined, who are patriotic. It's all about the money. We can't afford because of everything else that's going on, to have a large military. What you've just described isn't a new idea, and it's not even an American idea. It used to be called a Kampf Group, which is a self-contained unit with its own artillery, its own armour, and its own infantry and, and support and logistical uh, and uh, you know, loggies. So 
for the types of war we will fight in the future, that may well suffice. But what you don't get with so few people being in the military, being in the army, the, the navy, or the air force, chair force, sorry, is that you you don't get the benefit to society. Some might say it's indoctrination, but I think it's all about education and character building and those kind of things. So I can't see tactically or strategically a real problem with having that kind of setup. What I do see is to the detriment of society, because you're not going to have that many people going through the, the process and coming out the other side and joining civilian life with all the values that military life gives you. No, that's a fair point. It might not be all that bad. They are saying that your government is wanting a mysterious sixth generation stealth fighter. So the English, you guys you guys actually want one of these things. It's going to be based on the F-35 stealth aircraft, uh, and it's called the Tempest. Tempest is being developed in partnership with Italy and Sweden with service entry targeted at 2035 to 2040. And it's supposedly, I mean, this is going to be after your changes. So, I mean, this could be... Um, this this could be a good thing. I mean, I'm looking at concept photos of it here, uh, and it's um, it's looking pretty good. They say that uh, they want to spend about two billion by 2025 on the UK's future combat air system program. They say it's being developed in partnership with the uh-huh. uh huh, sixth generation uh, stealth jet. In addition to low observation characteristics, Tempest would feature network sensors and data links, adaptive cycle engines, which can reconfigure themselves depending on flight profile while generating ample electricity for powerful sensors and directed energy weapons and drone control capabilities. This is quite fascinating. Uh, it is fascinating. The only bit that upsets me is the fact that it's Italy and Sweden. If we want an aircraft, let's build a bloody own. Um, well, we built some of the best aircraft. Um, you know, in, in the last 50 years. Admittedly, it's been in partnership with other countries. The Harrier, for instance, in partnership with the US. The Tornado, in partnership with Italy. The Panavia Tornado. You know, the, the Eurofighter. Typhoon, yeah. Typhoon was built in partnership. But this time, again, we're seeing the, the, the money go, go out of my pocket, my taxes, into the pockets of Swedish and Italian aerospace companies we've got our own aerospace companies invest in them great britain don't let the government send our money elsewhere you know that that just annoys me i know we're part of nato but let's face it most of europe hasn't done their bit for nato for decades they've just let it run down and down and down because they know they want to divert whatever funds they thought they might have but now haven't because of covid towards an EU army or an EU armed forces, um, which is totally in contradiction to NATO. We've already got NATO. You don't need your own army for the European Union. But yeah, stop spending money in other countries, spend it in the UK. That I have got a problem with. You know, what you read out there as far as the organ organisation of, of those um, CAMF groups, those, those fight groups, I've got no problem with at all. But it's where they spend my money in other countries. And this is the uh, the little thing that uh, you kind of popped off about the other day when I posted the uh, the article about your ships are going to be built in Germany. Yeah, well, what annoyed me about the article is, first of all, that ship that was in the article was being built in Glasgow. And I've actually walked upon that ship in that shed probably just a couple of days either before or after that photograph was taken. We've got the capability to build big ships in the UK, and we are building big ships 
why do we need to send it to Germany? It's because it's it's just a bit of political horse trading, uh, and it's it's not necessary. Obviously, the the two carriers, um, Prince of Wales and Queen Elizabeth, were built in Germany, um, built on in the Baltic on the Black Sea. Uh, no, sorry, on the Baltic in Kiel uh, uh, and around there. But let's not keep throwing our money to Europe. We left Europe so we could keep some of our money. Let's spend it in the UK. Well said, sir. We'll have to end it there. So I uh, want to thank you guys for being here today. Uh, it's been uh, it's been good to get back into the uh, the swing of things, although I'm still not at 100%, but um, it's, it'll take a day or two. But uh, like I said, tomorrow we're going to get more into um, what's going to be going on with um, you know the agendas that are, gonna be, that are being talked about by the likes of uh, Dr. Peter Navarro. Uh, we got a clip of him on uh, Bannon's War Room that we're going to be playing tomorrow talking about Fauci and his involvement with um, the lab in China uh, and why we're facing the issues we're facing today because of the likes of him. So that'll be tomorrow. But I want to thank you guys for being here today. So uh, for those of you who have not joined our Telegram channel yet, uh, we got a lot of content we've been putting up over there in the last uh, week or so. Uh, we do have a discussion group. We've also got in there as well. Also, we're going to be doing some live Q&A in the coming days. I need to get with you guys and uh, get that set up. We'll uh, start opening up our voice chats uh, two or three days a week. You know, you can join from whatever device you have. As long as you're subscribed to us on our Telegram channel, you'll be able to join from your phone. You'll be able to come in. You'll be able to ask us questions, take part in our discussions and things like that. Uh, so we will be having that in the coming days. So uh, get signed up to us on Telegram. We're a public channel. We'll pop right up. When you search for us over there, just search for Dynamic Independence. Penance, click join. You'll be subscribed to us there. You get all of our content we put out here every day. You'll also get an exclusive podcast we put out once a week, although last week was the exception to that because of the holiday. Uh, Good Friday, couldn't do anything on that day. And we also post articles, like I said. Uh, feel free to drop a comment to us. We do watch that uh, quite regular, and we do uh, we do take part in our uh, discussion there in our comment section. So uh, be sure to take part in those discussions as well. Uh, also, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can do so anytime by dropping us a line at tips at dynamicindependence.com. And we would ask you to pass this along to friends, family, and known associates. We are trying to grow as much as possible, but we do need your help in order to do that. So if you could pass this along, we would appreciate that. We're available everywhere you get your podcasts. Also, if you're rating podcast, if you give us a rating when you get a chance, that would be fantastic as well. Five stars would be a plus. Thank you very much. All right, gentlemen, again, it's been fantastic to sit down with the two of you today. Marty, uh, thank you for being here. You seem to be doing a lot better uh, from the last uh, couple of weeks. You're uh, you're back into the uh, the swing of things. Uh, you're looking a lot better, so I'm glad to see you on the rebound. It's been great to sit down and talk with you tonight. Thank you. You're welcome. Good to see you two guys as well, and uh, I'll see you in a couple of days. Very well. So thank you guys for being here. Thank you to all the listeners. Everyone have a great evening.